Sonic Statesman. What's wrong? Um, hello, everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk number 180... Oh, gosh, what is it? It's 84, isn't it? And this week we're having a little bit of a slightly different thing. Obviously, you can, if you're watching on video, uh, then you can see I've still got a single camera and the chat room is is down there, so you'll be able to see that. And uh, But I'm here alone in the studio, um, so I'm naked, obviously, from the waist down. Um, but nobody will ever know unless I stand up, which I'll obviously try not to. But um, joining me uh, this week, uh, we've got a special guest... Uh, in the form of Mr. Howard Scar, who is a sound designer, musician, uh, recently done some work. I think you were credited, at least on the last couple of films I saw you did with Mr. Hans Zimmer, as a synth programmer, but I suspect it's far more than that. How would you describe it? Uh, no, I wouldn't say it's far more. It's, that's, that's actually the word I put myself on IMDb. Ah, OK. So synth programmer to separate myself from the uh, sound design rabble. <laughs> <laughs> well, excellent. I mean, very glad to have you aboard. Uh, I'm really, really much uh, appreciate. I know you uh, occasionally listen to the show, so it's uh, it's nice to have you on. And I hope uh, I hope you'll you'll nice. enjoy the experience. Oh, it's an honour and a pleasure. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we've also got a couple of other um, good friends uh, in the form of I'll start uh, while I'm overseas. I'll start with Rich Hilton, uh, myspace.com forward slash Antonius. Works in sunny Connecticut, which I'm guessing it must be sunny now, with Nile Rogers in his studio, a uh, live player, engineer, plays with Chic on the road, all sorts of stuff. Many strings to your bow, Rich. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. And it's, uh, it's cloudy and humid Connecticut today. Cloudy and humid Connecticut, yes. It's very hot here. Um, but as you know, I can't turn my central. My, oh, you can see, here's my trusty air conditioning unit, um, which is far too close to the mic. But anyway, um, welcome aboard, and thank you very much for joining us. And also, we've got Dave Spears, g4software.com, synth expert, who I'm sure will be Hello. giving Howard maybe a, maybe, maybe a few... Challenging questions. A grilling. <laughs> a grilling. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, welcome, everybody. And also, everybody in the chat room, we've got a nice, uh, fulsome co collection here. Nice to see some familiar faces there. Um, as, as, again, as I'm saying, there's the, uh, the stream that's happening below us. So um, don't say anything that you wouldn't want your mother to see, I suppose, is, uh, is probably the way I'd put it. But I'm sure we're all well-behaved here. Sonic Talk number 184. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Howard, um... You've got quite a long history of working with synthesizers. I mean, I'm looking at this um, this list that I got from your own website, so I'm hoping the facts are correct. Form yeah. Zork, 1973, started off, and I was reading a couple of interviews with you. You started out with um, a Synthi AKS, is that right? Oh, yeah. Wow. I, um, that was, um, I think it was 72, and I bought a couple of albums on the same day, and they were Flying Teapot by Gong, and... Birds of Fire by Mahavishnu Orchestra. How, so thought, how psychedelic. I've got, buy, I've got to buy one of these machines. <laughs> wow. So it was either a Synthi A or a Minimoog. Oh, what, what, what made you go that way? Was it because they were about the same price, wouldn't they? Uh, I think the Synthi A KS was 50 quid cheaper or something. Like 350 quid at the time. Wow. Cost you ten times that at least these days. At least, yeah. As would a mini, yeah. as would a mini probably. And the rest. Anyway, uh, yeah. So I, I bought the cheaper one. <laughs> and how did you find as that? Is my want, as is my want as a as, as a um, skinflint. 
<laughs> and how did you find it? Because I mean, I remember when I bought my first synthesizer, I was incredibly disappointed because I couldn't get it to make any kind of meaningful noises. And I guess with a synthy AKS, you must have found that to be um, even more the case, unless you were just a natural. I think I must have been a natural. I just spent hours on it all day. And what? And once you <laughs> once you had it in in your possession, I mean, did you kind of how did do you use it uh, kind of pretty much straight away in a in a musical situation, or were you you locked away learning how it uh, all worked? Yeah, I, lo- I locked myself away for two weeks and then joined a band, which was <laughs> excellent. Aforementioned Zorch. Yes, which is um, you're you're still it seems to you're still involved with them, right? You've got Zorch um, music. No, the other guy lives in Romania, so it's a bit difficult. Ah, rehearsal's a problem. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, I mean, I was going to... One of the main reasons we've got you on, apart from um, it's always nice to talk to people who work in the industry, is obviously the film Inception has just come out, and uh, you've worked on the soundtrack to that with uh, Hans Zimmer, and you've worked on a, cu- yeah. a couple of uh, instances, a couple of movies with him. How, how did you kind of get into that how did you find yourself you know getting into that into that field particularly with the role that you perform with them right uh somebody we know who i'll mention very shortly uh was instrumental in that i got a bit tired of the virus i've been doing a lot of uh sounds for the access virus Uh uh-huh and um i was looking for something new and i checked out this thing called zebra 2 all right which is the yuhi guy yeah yeah as heckman Mm mm-hmm and I got a call from a friend of mine called Alf, who was visiting uh, Urs. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, I've just had a chat with Urs, and uh, I tried to mention your name as a sound designer. And he, he said, uh, no, I've already got somebody uh, who was recommended to me by Mr. Dave Spears. <laughs> right. <laughs> but he's a bit expensive, apparently. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> And Alf said, yeah, I think this is the same guy. And it was, yeah. So um, that's how I got into, into Zebra. And after programming a lot of presets, um, I was mentioned as the best uh, best guy for the job doing Zebra sounds. Ah, right. And that... Yes, Mr. Zimmer was already a Zebra fan at the time. Okay. Oh, so he came in directly through a sort of actual, you know, he presumably heard your work in the presets that you'd done for that synthesizer. For the for the virus. Well, virus, the virus, and oh, uh, the the zebra. I'm not sure. I think he just. I don't think he reads who actually makes the sounds. Oh, okay. So, in terms of the actual sound design, I mean, because obviously you've done work for uh, Waldorf and uh, Access. I mean, what what's the how do you? How do you Roland was the other one, but they don't credit you. How did you get into that? I mean, it's, it seems like a kind of a very specific area of. Uh, you know, of the audio world. Been playing synth since that time, since 72, mm-hmm. and bought myself a, a virus, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, they don't. Really they... Yeah, they're still good. And uh, I gave a set of sounds to, to the Access guys for free. Ah, okay. Uh, upon which they said, oh, we want, we'd like another bank, please. Right, okay, I got you. I mean, that's one of the, the, the things about uh, the Access series. There's just such a lot of brilliant voices in there. They're very impressive. Yeah, and very different as well. Mm. You, you can tell people's um, signature, I think. Oh, really? I really, I was going to ask about the sound. I mean, because when you get into sound design, how, how long does it take you to kind of get to know a synth before you can kind of stamp your mark on any kind of presets that you 
do you actually create for it? Hmm. I, I think after the, after a few cents, you, you know the general architecture, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it takes about a week feel, to feel at home with a complex synthesizer. Yeah, well, that sounds pretty good. You should, <laughs> but you, do, you also do some technical manuals as well, so you obviously kind of grasp it fairly sharply. Uh, I did, yeah, but that was after a while, after I'd been playing with them for two years or so, a year at least. The other, the other thing that I was kind of interested in with that is, you know, in terms of the actual depth of an instrument, I mean, are there, is there a kind of ideal synthesizer? I mean, have you seen, because, I mean, obviously you've been involved with synthesizers for, you know, for a number of years. I mean, is there a kind of formula that seems to work best when a new instrument comes along that you just sort of think, well, if it has this, this, and this, and the boxes are ticked, then you can kind of go, that's going to be an, a capable instrument? Or is it all a bit random? Uh- Capable, yes, but uh, I think sound quality is much more important than anything else. I really do, because mm. as, as soon as you get, as soon as you try to do complicated stuff, multiple uh, audio rate modulation, for instance, <clears throat> it get, can get very messy. All oh, right, so the the quality of the engine yeah. will right. I see. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing. Even with a simple engine, you can get really good sounds if you just try and. Find ways around the uh, limitations, you know. And that's the key, I think, is it? I think so. I do like limitations, actually. I've been trying to get us to remove some features (laughs) from from Zebra 2. It's not going to happen. You call it Zebra 1.9. Just go iterations downwards (laughs) instead, couldn't you? Make it five five quid cheaper, yeah. Yeah, just take a couple of... uh, That's interesting. And that's, I mean, that's something that's quite also quite interesting to me, the idea that, uh, you know, you come, your background has been very much in in the hardware, or at least I'm making that assumption. And now, you know, you're seen as kind of one of the more, um, the people who's got the most deep understanding of something like zebra which is purely software yeah. i mean how do you find the that whole thing about the instinctive being able to reach for something and kind of do things the short journey of the synapse to the hand to the knob rather than via the mouse or whatever i mean how did you make that transition was that weird or was it natural i think it's much quicker actually oh really because, uh, once you get to a certain depth there's a threshold beyond which hardware is just just ridiculous to control you don't you can't uh instantly go from one parameter to something that's hardly related in a hardware sense, and you can in software. I suppose that's an interesting point. So you, can, you, can, you know, you can mix it, like on a mixer. Yeah. Uh, much quicker. So if you're trying to balance two parameters that are not so related, it's really difficult on hardware. Ah, because I suppose that's one of the things about the Zebra, isn't it? It allows you to have almost CV... Uh, mixing a lot more CV mixing in kind of like the old school Moog modular style. Is that right? Am I making yeah. an, the right assumption there? Uh, yes. And that seems to be one of the things that it's able to do quite nicely is to bring in all sorts of control sources and, and modulation sources and blend them in a kind of unique fashion. So you get a lot more. I suppose you get a lot a, a lot less predictable results or a lot less obvious results. Uh, I tend to construct things rather than find uh i go for it i go for it like scientifically instead of uh, oh, okay so what well, you have an idea of how you'd like to would you sort of get an idea of how you'd like to construct a patch and then yeah or, or i think what would what would happen if i plug this into this 
that kind of simple question. Yeah, I do do that. Well, that that sounds like quite a modular way of thinking, which I guess is is, I mean, is that where your heart lies in terms of how you do things? Because obviously, with a lot of hardware synthesizers, where the voice architecture is fixed, you know, you don't get that sort of flexibility. But I guess, isn't that a limitation? Zebra is pretty uh, modular, actually. It's not so it's linear, but not not fixed architecture, of course. And, and the other thing I was going to ask, I, I mean, obviously we we've discussed on the podcast quite a, lo- a number of times, and obviously uh, Dave Spears, you know, you've done your uh, uh, dedicated controller for the uh, forthcoming Imposter Two. You know, do you, how do you do you tend to mouse control your things, or have you got a kind of a hardware based control system that you like to use that gives you that sort of access that perhaps we're all trying to figure out how it's going to work best for us? It was <laughs> no, I just mouse. I just use the mouse. Oh, really? So you don't actually, you, you don't use any hardware control at all, or just presumably just keyboards? No, I've got a couple of EMU, uh, what are they called? EMU controllers, but uh, I don't don't use them, don't map them. Oh, that's very interesting. Because, well, for instance, in Zebra, you, you can't really map everything. No, I suppose not. So because of the flexibility, it would end up being a bit... Yeah. Right. Dave, have you have you used um, Zebra at all? It's one thing I haven't got around to trying, and I really want to get give it a go. Have you? Is that something that you use? Uh, to be honest, I haven't used it in earnest. I have uh, mucked about with it. I like it a lot. I think Urz is an incredibly clever individual. Um, but actually, I've probably more enjoyed watching Howie use it <laughs> than using it myself. <laughs> I like to observe. When I go to the studio, it's like you were doing that thing when when I came up to hands. You were doing a uh, uh, a piece of sound design, and I was more intrigued at you know how you were using the filters and how you were kind of approaching it. So yeah, I was hoping to learn something. Do, uh, Rich, do you, uh, you do you have you used the Yuhi stuff at all? Well, yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, I recently purchased Zebra Two, ah, and uh, I think it's lovely. It really sounds great. Have I like Dave? I haven't gotten deeply into it, and I haven't had a lot of time to use it in projects yet. But uh, the sound of the thing is spectacular, and uh, Howie's patches are pretty outstanding too. Do you, Howard, do you do you find? I remember talking to you when we met at uh, Music Messer. You were sort of saying that you were quite impressed with the was it the MicroCorg XL as well, which seemed like a kind of unlikely um, thing for you to focus on. But you're saying there's quite a lot of uh, depth in there that's not really uh, immediately obvious at the outset. Well, not not depth so much as uh, sound quality. There's something. I don't like about certain synths. Mm-hmm. There's something in the sound quality, I can't put my finger on it. And uh, the R3 and MicroCorg XL, and I guess the Radius, which I haven't tried, uh, don't have that quality. They're, they're smooth, they're nice, and uh, scope, I think, is similar. Is it down to the kind of aliasing or something to, of that nature? Something, like, something up in the high frequencies. Yeah. Because I agree, there are some synths which just don't sound nice, and you can't necessarily kind of put your finger on it, uh, and some that just do. I mean, it's almost like the kind of the old, it's like the oscillator and the filter, but when it comes to, because all this stuff is basically happening in software, it's kind of hard to be, to be specific about yeah. it, identify. I mean, Dave, I guess you'd know a bit more about what it is that, that makes the difference, because being a developer, I mean, can you, could you define it more clearly, or is that uh, something you couldn't possibly tell us? Uh, time and a lot of effort. Right. Well, sort of an- analysis and then kind of recoding and just sort of working on the algorithms. I don't really... Yeah, no, I mean, I've said before, you know, the more 
the more maths you do, the more intensive it's going to be. And then it's knowing what to filter out and what to leave in and what to kind of include and what to kind of go for. But yeah, the more, um, the more measurements, basically, the more measurements you do, the more accurate it's going to be. Yeah, interesting. Well, uh, Mystic Radio incidentally said the Radius rack is uh, now on sale for 699 bucks, which sounds like a bit of a steal, really. I've not played with one yet. I saw the, um, one of the scope based synths, and what they call it, the Plugiator. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. 179 quid. Wow. And I think, yeah. yeah. Is that that stuff runs um, like Pulsar and what uh, algorithms, isn't it? It's, it's kind of similar because, isn't yeah. the um, the the John Bowen synth is based on the DS the algorithms that were kind of present in that kind of stuff using what well, they used Shark Chips, don't they? Is it Shark Chips? I can't yeah. remember what they do now. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that Solaris. Yeah, is that something you're going to be doing um, doing some work with? Because I'd imagine you you Apparent, apparently if it <laughs> well as soon as he uh, sends me one, yeah. Might take a few months. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, I think it's an ongoing labour of love. I mean, I know John wants it to be yeah. just right, and I'm sure Dave, you can uh, identify with that feeling as well. Because I mean, it's you want to get it right, don't you? You don't want to don't want anything out, uh, to go out prematurely. Yeah. That's oh right. no, and that'll never happen with us. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I'm, what I'm going to do quickly is uh, just have a quick word from our sponsors, because uh, I can then get, uh, um, then we can get back to you. Because I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the soundtrack work that you've been doing and how your role fits into all of that. So, stay tuned. But first of all, uh, I just want to say thank you very much to our sponsors, uh, who are Yamaha.co.uk. Um, we have, in fact, um, you probably have noticed there's been a new synth come out. I went over to Frankfurt, not Frankfurt, no Hamburg, to see it. I uh, couldn't talk about it. Uh, now I can. I did see uh, that there is, in fact, now it's a new motive. XF keyboard, which is it's the sort of latest iteration of the Motif Workstation range. And what they've done is they've they've added an enormous amount of RAM. There's now 741 megabytes of internal wave ROM, uh, which is twice that of the previous XS, including realistic pianos, acoustic instruments. Uh, there's also an optional two gigabyte of flash wave memory in addition to the onboard. I think there's 128 megs of onboard RAM, which um, they didn't have any on the original, which is kind of you know something that that, that they were listening to people. Um, telling them what they wanted. So that's all good stuff. And it's just an enormous amount of resources. One thing that was really interesting about the, the Flash ROM is obviously if you're a live player, you could put your entire set in there, which might include triggered samples, all sorts of stuff, and the whole thing will just be there when you switch it on, and there's no worrying about breaking hard drives or remember when your dongle is, all that sort of thing. So it seems like a very useful uh, piece of kit for certainly live performance as well as people who just want a keyboard that does everything. So please do go and check out the Motif X range. Uh, you can check it out in a couple of places, actually. Inspirationinaflash.com um, or uh, go to yamahadownload.com where you can also find out about the XF but also you'll be able to find out about uh, various other postings that they've got because they've, what they've got is a website there which has uh, lots of great stories, uh, particularly this month, new, new OS updates for the Motif range, editors for the S90SX and KX series, uh, Cubase 5.5, an interview with Marco Mendoza who's Thin Lizzy bassist and new drum kit downloads for the DT, DTX series of electronic kits. So we do thank Yamaha for their continued sponsorship and we do uh, encourage you to go and check out the new XF when it becomes available. Obviously, that's going to be a little bit of time before it's in the stores, but uh, we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, Yamahadownload.com is where you need to go to find out all there is to know about Yamaha and the XF series. Um, I was going to ask you, Howard, um, and I mean, obviously you did, um, you worked on The Dark Knight, right? Was that your first gig with Hans Zimmer? 
Yeah, that was my first gig. And how did that work? I mean, was there a sort of, were you just sort of, yeah, come on over and whittle, play with some synths? I mean, what was, how did the, what was your... Ex- that was almost exactly what he wrote. What, do you want to come on over and play with some synths? Wow. <laughs> no, thank <laughs> you. I'm busy. So, nice. So, so I, I couldn't I, say that to that. Do you get a brief? I mean, is there a sort of, I'm, what I'm looking for? And yes. How did... uh, yeah, I, I get, there's a kind of... Uh, atmosphere atmosphere that's described yeah and uh, a sound palette like say for angels and demons it was obviously choirs and bells yeah and uh and then things get refined and i have an idea and i play it to him and he says could you make this a bit uh more in this direction etc or he says oh oh make me sound that's like swept sync oscillator but the other way around Right. So, so you yeah, so so it starts off uh when it's high it's pure and when it gets low it gets very gritty. Oh okay. So, so that's so quite an interesting challenge. That. That, that's the that's the kind of, actually my inter- most interesting challenge was to uh, recreate the bell in St Peter's Square in Rome. Yeah. Because uh, I was cheaper than wow. Earcam. <laughs> oh, I see. So, wow. I mean, just recreate the bell in St. Peter's Rome. So, so right. that, that bell in Angels and Demons is, is a couple of zebras. Right. And uh, wow. was, that, was that a synth that you used quite exclusively on that? I mean, because obviously we know that Hans Zimmer's probably got one or two of almost everything, and uh, you can presumably just kind of go, I think I'll try it on that synth. I mean, how does it work? Do you just get access to all of those instruments? Well, it lets me play with them all. Uh, I, you, one of my jobs one day was just to play with a thing called a GRP A8. I've never heard like of a, that. <laughs> it's an Italian thing that's based on a mini milk. Everything is switchable, no patching. Uh huh. But it's like two of them. It's it's actually huge. If you just Google GRP A8, I think you'll find you find that immediately. And another job I had for one day was to read the script. <laughs> Is that so that you can kind of get your head into the atmosphere and just so you're in the same yeah. space? Not to not to do any uh, amendments. Spoilers. Yeah, it's all about it's all about um, the inception is about um, uh, nested dreams, dreams yeah. within dreams. So I had to use that as an image for some of the sounds, for instance. That sounds incredibly difficult. I mean, it, it, presumably the reason that you're you know, you, you've gone back and worked on other soundtracks is you're obviously getting the same kind of, you're in the same wavelength. It's, it's imagery. One of the Aircam guys, when they were there trying to, uh, talking about bells, said they had once tried to get the sound of the dust falling off a grand old bell <laughs> and it was hit. Just the dust. Right. That sounds like, that sounds like a lifelong project, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then amplify it to a level that makes it sort of uh, audible. So in a nutshell, it's lots of it's just imagery and what what can you do with it? It's interesting. It sounds a little bit like working with ad creative agencies who speak in non maybe non musical terms, but are just descriptive terms. You know, we we all have the uh, the sort of jokey thing where can you make it more green? You know that sort of concept. It sounds like you're you're actually interpreting that sort of thing on a regular basis. Yeah. I mean- you have to have a concept in these days of generic. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, no, I got <laughs> soundtracks. Uh, otherwise, you can't talk about it afterwards. 
<laughs> well, there is that. That's true. I mean, one of the things I was listening to some of the stuff from Inception, and it sounds very orchestral. There's a lot of big, bold, brassy sounds. I mean, I'm assuming that is all orchestra, or is there stuff in there that and, you've kind of... No, there's, there's Mog 55 in that brass as well. Ah. And, and, and possibly Super Jupiter. I'm not, I haven't really listened to it properly. So when, once you've kind of de- delivered your work in that sort of scenario, do you are you involved in the blending of all of that, or is that just sort of left to to, to another Not part of the slightest. I'm just a um, what do they call it? Uh, new, new speak content provider. Ah, okay. So you're. I, I suppose that ma- that makes kind of quite a lot of sense because I mean we all know that it's very easy to. Uh, get lost in synthesizer time and i'm guess if you're if you're the composer of of a major feature film there's an awful lot of other tasks you have to perform like you know talking to the producers and and, and arranging the orchestras and all of that sort of thing so you need to take some of that load off yeah i am a small cog in the uh, in the machinery right so is that what i mean you, you talked about the uh the bell the saint peter's bell i mean is there a similar kind of uh element that you provided for uh inception that g- gave you the most the most pleasure uh percussion okay we had we had, we had 10 zebras um triggered from a, a v, v drum roland v drum and uh we had the the, the drummer there satnam was great indian Indian Canadian guy, a lot of fun. He, he played the V drums, and after that, after that, I worked on the sounds a bit, and then I think Hans must have beefed them up because they're sounding a lot better. Right. Than I had them. <laughs> but that's so. I mean, it's almost like executing a concept, isn't it? And getting it kind of ready to, for a performance. I didn't realize there was a performance aspect to kind of creating the sounds that you were doing as well. But I suppose, of course, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, well, instead of having everything done in the air studio. Uh, with big big orchestral percussion, a lot of it was in, was electronic. Mm. Apparently, so I hear. Right. So what, the other thing, <laughs> I, the other thing, I mean, the other thing I was interested in is what sort of time scale are we talking about for a project like this? You know, you you get the call, how, and then you know, I got the I got the call and uh, stayed there for six weeks for the first time. Right. And then I got the call about three four weeks later for another four. Right. So you're uh, and, and during that time you're kind of pro- providing content adding, <laughs> adding to the palette of sounds because i mean i'm guessing with all of these things you know you one would expect if one was commissioning a high a high powered composer that you'd get custom themes obviously which are the motifs and the musical side of things but also signature sounds and those sort of things which you would want to be completely original i mean it makes perfect sense yeah um there's some i did do quite a few little percussion loops with uh with envelope generators Okay. What like loop um, so, re-triggered? The, you, you, no, no. It's um, just one note, and then you use the uh, and the complex envelope generator to uh, to make the beat. And is that again a zebra uh, process, or is that just whatever's to hand? That's a zebra thing because then you can actually modulate the playback the playback speed without changing sound, etc. Right, I think I get it. Is that something similar to using envelope generators in loop or re-trigger mode, or is it just the actual... Uh, you've got a lot more control over the sound that way. Right. Yes, yeah, so if you if you, if you want one note to be a, a brighter sound, you would uh, use another envelope generator and just uh, do a little bump in, in that one and run them in parallel and control, for instance, filter cutoff or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One. Oh, but it sounds like a, a, 
quite an uh, absorbing a uh, uh, process i mean do you find that you kind of you know you, you, uh, oh, you just get lost well, in it and think oh my god is it four o'clock in the morning i mean okay. how d- I, I was doing half days actually which means 12 hours <laughs> when you're working on um the palette of sounds do you have other material to refer to to are you hearing what's going on outside of your particular process to to make sure it would uh, happen yes Yes, they're always posted on the server, the, uh, the latest versions of the queues. Oh, okay. So you can always download an, an MP3 stereo mix or 5.1, whatever you like. So uh, how, how the sounds are being used is updated every day. All right, so uh, and that, is that a self-referential kind of thing? Is that the way that you tend to, tend to work in that way? So, you know, you might iterate your own sounds and hear something yes. that needs doing. Uh, the, no, those are, those are interesting words, self-referential, iterative. Uh, evolutionary, I think modular synthesizers and com- complex synthesizers like Zebra have got a lot of that in them themselves. Yeah. And uh, the, of course, the score itself grows in that way. Interesting. Everything is feedback, Hans Zimmer once said. Yes, I suppose so with a feature film, because, I mean, I mean you know, at the, the, the small level I've worked with any music to picture, there's always changes that are happening, because as the thing gains momentum and becomes a more uh, complete image, uh, you know, amalgamation of sound and vision, you know, the producer, the director will, will change their perception of it and ask for things to be tweaks and what have you. I mean, do you, have, yes, to, do you yeah. have to have a mind to that when you're working on this stuff to be able to kind of go back and change? I mean, how does that work? Or do you work in the... I don't, pers- I don't personally because I'm just delivering him sounds. Right. So, uh, but he, he does ask, oh, can you do a, a triplet version of this drum loop envelope thing? And uh, I do that. Oh, okay. But otherwise, I don't... I'm... I'm uh, I'm not in direct contact with any right. of these kinds, kinds of problems that they have with changing <laughs> and but does most changing of the, cues to fit. Does most of the work happen um, in in that studio, or are you do you have your own kind of uh, workspace as well that you contribute from? Uh, I'm I'm put in a little uh, pro- programming room. I know that feeling. With a, <laughs> with, a, with a little with a little slot where they can pass food in. I'm locked away in a little room. No, some of the rooms were quite good actually. Mm. I, I, did tend to get moved around quite a lot, though. All uh, right. And, um, yeah, 1.0 was in Studio B, which was quite nice. Another time I was in Steve Jablonski's room. There was another quite well-known uh, movie soundtrack composer, but uh-huh. he wasn't there at the time, so I could, I could spend a few weeks in there. I thoroughly enjoyed, actually, going to Air Studios for the um, orchestral recordings for The, the Dark Knight. Oh, you were involved in that. You were actually there I, no, for that. I was just, I was just there as a, an innocent bystander. Oh, that sounds like a. And that sounds like point, a... I just sat in the room when the cello, when the cello were playing. It was amazing. I've never actually seen an orchestra live. Oh, really? That's something that's no. sort of very powerful, isn't it? Wow. When you can hear that. So, I mean, I know Rich, you've been in on scoring sessions and done all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's quite, it's quite a, a, a powerful moment, isn't it? Yeah, it's very powerful. Very, very powerful. It must be quite a knack to be able to not know what you want and not just be completely overpowered by the experience because, you know, if somebody kind of goes, we could do this, and you just go, that's amazing, and then you think, actually, that's not what I want, but it's still amazing. <laughs> it must be quite hard to have that discipline and understanding of the palette of sounds an orchestra can make. I mean, let alone, I mean, the same with synthesizers, but when you've got such an, a large object that is... Totally real time, I suppose. Oh, I'd be totally overwhelmed with that kind of thing. 
I have no idea. Orchestration is not my thing. Rich, have you uh, have you kind of witnessed that for yourself? I mean, how does that work in a situation whereby you know you? I, I don't know how it works in that. Is, is that why you got to get the right person to be in charge of the orchestra so that they can interpret your wishes correctly? I've se- I've seen it work well both ways. In the case of coming to America in 1988, we temped out the entire orchestration in the synclavier and with associated modules, and then. The orchestrator then takes what you've done and brings his level of expertise to how to change or modify your decisions about how you want it distributed through the sections. Uh-huh. And, um, and in our case, he was wonderful and got fantastic results. And on that movie, Nile conducted. And there were both benefits and possible disadvantages to having somebody who is not one of the conductors they're used to looking at standing up there. Right. And on a subs- on subsequent movies we did, uh, similarly uh, orchestrated in the same sorts of ways, he was not the conductor, and we also got pretty good results. So I think, you know, you make the best of what you've got, of the decisions you've made, and I can't speak to one of them as being necessarily better than the other. Right, it's, it must be so. I mean, near your no, no, it does <laughs> because I, I just can't imagine because there's always this huge sort of wave of uh, preparation that goes into any kind of string or orchestral session that is leading to this one single point of failure or success, which just I find completely terrifying. So, you know, I know that, for instance, uh, within Goldfrapp, that's the only experience I've had. You know, they will, as is, is, is trained musically, so he can, he can score and do that sort of thing. But also, he still works with somebody who is then in charge of the orchestra and will conduct and, you know, talk to the orchestra in a way that means that they will do what, he wants you know do what will wants through him and it seems like that kind of translation process is quite an important thing if you can't t- talk completely in that language but i mean i just can't imagine right. how terrifying that is like tomorrow morning and is everything going to be okay i mean rich uh, sorry dave uh, you know, you've been quiet for a little while i'm going to force you to enter here the uh, have you been involved in these scoring sessions I, i'm i need from a kind of onlooker point of view i was some um, witness to do you remember years ago there were these rock symphonic things that used to go on? Stars on 45? No, the sort of album symphonic, yes, and all that kind of stuff. Ah, okay. I do remember there was a fantastic story about one band who remained nameless, but I believe they gather no moss. Um, <laughs> and the guy going in with, with his Atari ST and printing out all the scores on a dot matrix. And I think uh, this was... I've got a feeling this might have been Air Studios, and I dread to think what it was costing in a day, but I think they had to pull the session. <laughs> oh, because the, the printer wasn't fast enough. As this thing churned <laughs> it out, <laughs> sort of a line at a time. Oh, my God. That's you, done. And the 50-piece orchestra still weighing in the wings. That's the sort of thing that uh, the lesson you only need to learn once, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think you'd work again. Actually, this guy did work again, but um, no, quite entertaining. Yikes. Um, no, I, I mean, all those guys are always in work, those kind of orchestrators. The guys who can liaise between the the pop band and the orchestra. I know um, Dale used to do this um, uh, Night of the Proms in Europe, and that was something like an 80-piece uh, piece orchestra, 100-piece choir, and a pop band. And they would have various acts kind of fly in. You know, they'd be like, I don't know, um, 
Brian Ferry would come in and do a couple of numbers and then Sting would do a couple and then the, and I went to a couple of those. I mean, like you say, the power was amazing. But I mean, that was, uh, do you remember John Miles? John Miles was the sort of musical director of that. And that was like three months work just to get it to that, you know. I mean, I can't imagine that, that whole concept of having this sort of, I mean, Rich, because you've been in the situation where there's the sort of house band concept and a couple of guest musicians come in and it sort of ends up all right. And I just can't, I just can't imagine leaving it to so, so much to chance. It just terrifies me. I mean, I'm not a control freak, but I do like to exercise a certain amount of preparation and, and know pretty much what's going to happen. But I guess that's why I'm not a professional musician because I can't do that sort of thing i don't know howard you you play don't you uh i recently joined a, another hippie band in england yeah and what's it you're you're playing are you playing keyboards guitar what are you what are you doing live i play my two my twinthesizers your twinthesizers the two michael cork xls oh right so you to use a, those live to a tiny little yeah i I'm, i got them so they fit in a in a little suitcase that goes through as uh hand luggage all oh, right luggage. oh brilliant so you could just shout and turn the gig do the gig straight yeah. oh, that's fantastic i i mean because i reviewed them called michael korg xl and i did uh, i did enjoy it it's definitely got a compelling sound engine so that's uh, and also the portability marvelous and actually but I've, I've got fairly slim fingers so the the small oh, the... keys don't bother me in uh, fact, I'm a bit quicker on the small keys than I am on the standard size. Interesting. Uh, there were a couple of things that um, that I wanted to point out before before we move on and, uh, to any other questions. Um, just take a quick break and let you know about a project that Mark Tinley's involved in. Um, basically, what he's doing is they're working on uh, the oh, the Open Boat Open Boat Orchestra dot com. Okay, let me put that in the link. That one in. And what they're trying to do is they're taking a, a, a sailing boat that is going on around the world cruise and translating all of the sounds and the movements into some kind of musical project. And they've got a, a bunch of people involved, uh, including uh, Mark's brothers, one who's a marine bio, uh, 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 a marine engineer, and the other one is obviously uh, a musician. And they're working out, um, they're trying to get people involved to make the project work. So if anyone's interested, there's a meeting next Thursday, 11th of August, uh, in London. So you need to be, obviously, in the area. But you need to uh, email tinley at aspergineering.com. That's A-S-P-E-R. I'll put that in the show notes here. The other thing was... And this is a purely selfish technical problem I've been having recently. I was debugging somebody's Motu system. Um, it's on uh, one of the new Mac uh, 8 cores, uh, well, probably an iteration back, Snow Leopard, and it's a PCIe uh, 424 system. And it was just clicking and popping, and I've, I've disconnected all the digital um, connections. It's literally audio wire from the PCI card out to the Motu Mark III, and there's clicks and pops. It's that sort of thing that you get when there's almost like a dodgy ADAC cable and you get pops coming into other channels that the sound is not coming down. So if you're playing on one and two, there's a little click that appears on channel three. I wondered, uh, in the true um, spirit of crowdsourcing, where anybody else had that. We've tried changing the uh, the slot. Uh, we've tried changing the audio wire. We've tried. We've got two motus. We've tried changing the. You know, and it doesn't make any difference. It's just this awful um, clicking sound, which makes it impossible. And if we if we use the change the audio engine to being just the Mac uh, audio and listening out of the headphones, the problem is not there. So it's definitely in the in the four two four setup. We've tried to get a new card, and hopefully that'll fix it. But I was just thought I'd ask in case. So I don't know if anyone out there has any solutions to that. But perhaps drop us a line or. Um, Say in the chat room. 
<laughs> then you call you call their tech support, and the person who picks up goes. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's the Motu sound. But Motu stuff is rock. You know, we've been using it for probably eight or nine years. You know, without problem. It's just this new computer setup. We thought it was a clocking issue. I went and eradicated all the potential clocking issues out of the system, and it was still making the noise. And even if you are playing it through Logic, like an instrument through Logic, or you know, just say uh, a music stream off iTunes or whatever coming out of uh, routing the sound manager out to uh, the Motu PCI out, still get the problem. So there's obviously something basic there. Anyway, I'm, I, I won't go on about it too much because um, I've already gone on about it. So, Howard, I really enjoyed your Life's Unfortunate Truths uh, post on your website there. <laughs> oh, yeah. The five, and I would just like to read them out. Maybe we can comment on them because I think they're... they're okay. The, the, um, the, this is uh, Life's Unfortunate Truths as applied to synth enthusiasts, and I think we're all going to recognise these. Uh, your powers of composition are inversely proportional to the quality of your studio. I think uh, I, can, I can dig that. Spend them a lot. Is that where did where did that lesson get learned? How is it down to just sort of it's all about what's in your head rather I'm than? I'm afraid it's autobiographical. <laughs> and do you have a setup of your own and um, your own place? And if you kind of how how do you work in your own environment? Well, I, I've got um, several doors. I've got um, Logic and Cubase and stuff, but I just use them as uh, as hosts for for synthesizers. Right. So you just yeah. literally it's yeah. they're just instrument hosts. And what can yeah. you get the most um, instances of Zebra in, then? I haven't actually tried it out. Ah, okay. Uh, <laughs> I think the maximum number of Zebras I've used here is two to make the bell sound. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, there we yeah. go. Fact, fact finders. Right, the, the point two, think of a sound, any sound, someone has already used it in a Madonna song. That's a... That's a <laughs> 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 that seems like a very... Uh, a very sort of down way of looking at the art of sound design and synthesizer programming. Do you find that you're, you're are you are you repeating yourself, or are you always looking for that sound that just is completely unique? Um, I do repeat myself from time to time to time. Uh, I try to actually copy some of the sounds I've made on one synth in another, and uh, get surprised by the results. I was interested. So, do you uh, do you document? your experiments in sound or do you just rely on the fact that you know it goes in and is part of your creative arsenal and you just sort of allow it to to percolate that way i allow it to percolate as you say yeah i don't document anything instinctive yeah oh, okay interesting right um in uh, in the late 80s you sold a tb303 for 30 bucks and passed up a mini moog for 200 i think we've all got one of those um stories in fact dave you had one didn't you didn't you do one of those the, the 303 or no mark did really did yeah no really did do 303 at car boot so for 35 quid and the bloke kept ringing me up for a year asking for the manual god cheeky by which time it was worth about a thousand quid and i wanted to tell him to uh, to, away. to stop ringing you yes in no <laughs> yeah. uncertain terms <laughs> okay um the number four the uh the more often your band rehearses the worse that really important gig will be that's quite interesting i don't know rich well, do you think there's a there's any truth in that because obviously there's a certain level of preparedness you need like you need to know the songs but can you over rehearse i that can, that can be true is I, my take on i that, think you so. can overkill stuff can't you <laughs> Once you know it, it all, it damn can right. be true. I'm not even sure it's often true, <laughs> but it can be true. <laughs> Is that something you've learned from experience, Howard? Yes. 
I think I, I need to uh, I need to be hungry for the stage. Oh, okay. And if I rehearse too much, I, I kind of lose interest. Do you legit? Is that the way you like to work? So you go and you sort of specifically not yeah, want to the, prepare too hard. Well, with the bands I've been with, with uh, it's all about um, not knowing what's going to happen next. Really, that's yeah. what Gong is often about. Like you but say, of course, bands, with, with a band like Chic, with a band like Chic, you have to be so tight and because uh, yeah. it's it's about getting nailing nailing except, the grooves. When your when your solo comes up, uh, Rich. Well, yeah. <laughs> but that's the release. Sheik does not over rehearse, actually. But it comes together. What we do is we play a you know a week of two shows a night in Japan, and that that's better than rehearsal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, and the uh, the the fifth point, which I particularly like because uh, I can relate to this as well. However, carefully you open the can of sardines, you will get oil on the keyboard. <laughs> I think, uh, and I would, I would like to just ask Howard, what, what is the uh, particular spillage you are referring to here? Is it actually the can of sardines, or was there something perhaps a bit more catastrophic? No, um, sardine oil seems to be seems to penetrate better than special oil for for the purpose, <laughs> and probably has a longer lingering uh, odor. Under the smell, yeah, of course. Dave, worse spillage. I mean, we we can all remember the uh, the classic um, Ken Macbeth um, can of beer on the oh, Buckler yes. modular system from a couple of nams ago. Um, yes. Have you got any that you can rival that, or even better it? Uh, no, just a can of Coke in a mixing desk. But Ooh. thankfully, it wasn't a really expensive mixing desk. Oh yeah, that's that's oh, that's got to hurt, isn't it? Fizzy drinks, in, it fizzy fun. drinks in faders. In fact, yeah, you almost wa- you almost want it to be a more expensive one because the fader bays would come out, and you could probably clean those rather than lose the entire channel. I do know somebody who poured a jug of margarita in a big mixing desk once. Poured? That sounds like a kind of an actual act of vandalism. Yeah, he was a star. He just wanted to see if he could get away with it. Really. Still working? Wow. <laughs> I'm saying no more. Still working? I just want to know if they're still working. <laughs> Who was yes. it, Dave? Yes, okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> I'm not saying. No, there's going to be no... We're not going to incur any, any of that here. Yeah, thank you me. very much. I think the worst thing I ever did, which was just uh, an accident, it wasn't really a spillage, it was more to do... Well, actually, no, I can't, I, that's right. I think um, I've got two. One was I went over to a studio in New York where I was very uh, inexperienced and I, I was just threading the tape on the Atari. I uh, said, oh, I'll just rewind that. And I left the uh, the head guard up and ran the entire tape across the front of the head guard. Which probably wasn't so, oh. on reflection. Probably not such a good uh, good <laughs> idea. Uh, I didn't tell anybody, and uh, it all seemed fine after that. But I was shitting myself afterwards. And the other one was um, I would. I, was, I think it was my first paid programming gig um, where I brought the producer back to my house. I just got back from holiday, and he was very very keen to. To, you know, kind of see the setup and listen to some sounds. And I walked into my room, and the washing machine in the flat upstairs had leaked into all my gear. So it was a little bit of a, um, uh, a damp squib that whole experience. I think I got the gig anyway, and um, it did. Uh, it did lead to you know a reasonable a couple of months of work. It was back in the days when you could you could actually justify billing a week's work for finding the right snare sound. <laughs> And when you consider the uh, the sounds I had at my disposal, that was quite a hard task. 
<laughs> We're talking about the 80s, the, the wrong snare sound, you mean, surely. The wrong snare sound, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's true. I, you're, you're famous, um, um, Howard, you're famously, um, you're, you're famously quoted as um, having disdain for the music of the 80s. Is there a particular reason well, for that? in general, yeah. <laughs> no, no idea. I'm not asking. I'm not asking you to justify yourself. No, I could just too. throw. I could just throw a couple of you know band names at you. I mean, there must have been some good parts of the '80s. That... Okay, okay, I'll tell you the bands I didn't like. Okay, <laughs> I particularly detested. Uh, what were they called? God, I can't remember right now. That's that might be for the best. Oh, there was one thing. Actually, I got a, um, there was a, a, a post on YouTube about the main theme from Inception. Being based on some kind of motif from a the the Edith Piaf song. Have you seen that video? Yes. Is that, I mean, obviously, I wouldn't expect you to say there's any truth in it because obviously that would be kind of tricky. There's the link in the uh, in the show, but it sounded. I mean, I, I listened to it. It did sound a little bit nebulous, to be perfectly honest. I mean, it just gets slowed down and sound. No, it, it it is the slowed down Edith Piaf song. Oh really? Oh, okay. the, uh, it, it turns into this huge brass sound, which was strengthened with real brass. Yeah, there's some lovely that, French horns going um, on in there. Um, 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 stuff. It's just dum da dum da dum no. Really? Yeah. Excellent. Wow. And is that was that is that sort of thing uh, kind of conceptual? Because I mean, you know, quite often that was that was definitely conceptual. And uh, they didn't actually use DNA to ex extract it or anything like that. Right. They used some French program uh, that's not available, I think. Probably Aircam again. It's, so, I mean, I'm interested. You mentioned Aircam a few times in this uh, in this chat. And is that something that, um, that Hans uses uh, as a tool? Um, I don't really understand how it works. They're, they're kind of like an institute for... Um, for music research, electronic music research. So, what can you just sort of give them a task, and they'll come back with a bunch of? I guess you'd have to ask Hans that. I don't know, but I have seen them there a couple of times. Guys from Aircam. So I'm assuming he, he wants to try out the latest technology. It sounds like something really serious. It's like when the FBI come round. It's like, do they wear special suits or anything, or are they perfectly normal <laughs> individuals? Um, seem perfectly normal to me. Yeah. Maybe a bit arty. Arty. A bit arty. Parisian yeah. artists. I always yes. had a real uh, hankering to go there, because I remember as a child going to the uh, Pompidou Centre, which was where they used to be. I don't know if they're still there. And uh, you could go, and there was lots of Urcam kind of doodads and workstations, and I always really fancied going there and having a good good look round, because a lot of people hold Urcam uh, in great reverence. Do they do a lot of good I'd work? Love to, I'd love to go there. I don't know anything about them. It's a very mysterious uh, organisation, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of like... Um, the FBI, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Rich or, or Dave, are you familiar with any of what ERCAM does? Can you elaborate? Do you know any more? Not uh, more not than really. what you've described. <laughs> I mean, I've heard of ERCAM throughout my life, but um, no. I, I, and uh, apparently some of the GRM plugins were initiated there. Oh, yeah. And I do have those and have used them. But uh. Uh, beyond that, it's just a name in a book to me. Well, that's interesting. I mean, is there any of their, Dave, do you know if there's any of their research is sort of available and you can do, because they do, they did a lot of granular stuff, didn't they? Command line granular synthesizers and all that kind of really very experimental electronic music stuff. Yeah, and I think they used a lot of that in, the, in that GRM tool stuff. There was a, there was one particular plug. In fact, there were two or three that I thought were really excellent. I'm, I was kind of sad when I lost those. Uh, other than that, no, to be honest, I have, uh, 
Uh, no, no idea, really. <laughs> Urcam. We should. I think we should find out. There should be some kind of research. Maybe there's some kind of conspiracy film that uh, we could get uh, Michael Crichton or somebody to write, uh, and then uh, Hans and uh, Howard could do the soundtrack for it. Yeah, and the Santa Pompidou would be the perfect. Uh, it would. It would make a great it? set, wouldn't it? I, th- I, I like the sound of that, and, I, and it sort of rounds up this whole uh, interview and uh, podcast quite nicely. That we could uh, maybe we could set that up as a as some kind of a project for the future. I'll see if I can find someone to to flesh it out and pass it on to some Hollywood producers, with the stipulation that it's uh, you and Hans have to be involved in the soundtrack. Okay, the deal. Howard Scar, thank you very much for joining us. I'm very much appreciated. Uh, where would be best to send people to? Zorchmusic.com slash HSCARR, which is my rather neglected website. HSCARR. Right, I'm going to put that in. Otherwise, WordPress. HowardScar.wordpress.com. Lovely. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, and thank You're you for, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And also, thank you to uh, Rich and Dave. Uh, I, I know you've perhaps been uh, more sort of silent participants this week, but I hope you've enjoyed yourself. It's always nice to talk to, um, to new people and to have old people involved. Oh, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Old people. What am I talking about? Good friends is what I mean. That came out all wrong. I was so confident going and, into that sentence. And the old people. <laughs> so, uh, Middle-aged here. Uh, <laughs> Rich Hilton, thank you very much for joining us. I'm sure you have uh, a multitude and myriad of uh, uh, um, tasks to complete for the, in the rest of your working week, but thank you for taking time out to join us. Always appreciated. I, I very much enjoyed it, and particularly enjoyed not being the oldest one here. <laughs> oh, thank you, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> and um, thank you very much, Rich Hilton. Rich Hilton, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. And also, Dave Spears from GeForce Software, thank you very much for joining us too. Brilliant, thank you. Thanks, Howard. That was uh, interesting stuff. GeForceSoftware.com. Nice to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed, everybody. That was Sonic Talk number 184. Thanks to everybody in the chat room. Always a pleasure. Um, We'll see you next week uh, for more of the same. Uh, SonicState.com forward slash live, 4 p.m. UK time. There's one thing you should know about me. I specialize in a very specific type of security. Subconscious security. You're talking about dreams. Mr. Cobb has a job offer he would like to discuss with you. Any kind of work placement? Not exactly. We create the world of the dream. We bring the subject into that dream, and they fill it with their secrets. Then you break in and steal it. Well, it's not, strictly speaking, legal. It's called Inception.